Contours, a podcast of FEBC Korea in Los Angeles. So Dr. Tom Sappington is an associate professor at the Cook School of Intercultural Studies, as well as the chair of the Department of Missions and Intercultural Studies at Talbot School of Theology. He was involved in pastoral ministry for nine years before being called to the predominantly Muslim country of Indonesia, where he and his wife Katie served for 15 years in central Java. They founded Ambassadors of Renewal, a ministry that brings renewal, healing, and deliverance to pastors and other church leaders in Indonesia and trains them to use these ministries in the context of the local churches there. So today we want to first talk about the topic of spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? You know, that's a good question, Amanda. Um, I think a lot of times we think of it too narrowly. Spiritual warfare is basically multidimensional. It's a warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil as we look at Scripture. And as we, we, we see that, it's important to maintain a balance. As we're trying to grow in the Lord and share the gospel and see people come to faith, we're experiencing opposition along the way. And we need to realize that and understand it while at the same time remembering that we have the victory in Christ, but we don't want to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And so you see churches uh, sometimes focus on one aspect of spiritual warfare to the neglect of the others. Uh, Some focus on being separate from the world. Others focus primarily on uh, just doing it, just resist it, come against the flesh. Others will focus on uh, the devil and deliverance and so forth to the neglect of the others. And I think that's when it gets to be a problem. But spiritual warfare is is multidimensional, and we need to think of it that way. So you said that sometimes we have this imbalanced view of spiritual warfare. You mentioned sometimes people ignore certain aspects, and then other times some aspects are completely exaggerated. And so how have you help people to better understand what spiritual warfare is, and would you share some stories of your experience? Well, we, were, we started this in Indonesia looking at the needs of the, the people. We were ministering in a seminary, church planning seminary network in Indonesia, and we just saw the needs there, and we began to move into this area and saw God work in people's lives and then learn from each case and then put together more teaching and refined it, and it, it was a process uh, for us. But we started there, and uh, both Katie and I have been doing this for a long time, Right now, she's doing more of it than I do because I have the responsibilities at Biola. Um, And maybe, Katie, you could tell a little bit about about that. I think one of the things you have to realize is that this all started in Indonesia where the emphasis on spiritual warfare is pretty much all about the devil, about the enemy. Because Indonesians are very well aware that we live in a world where the enemy is at work. There's a lot of occult activity. And so when we did ministry there there was always a deliverance component to it. But it was easy for people there to blame the enemy for everything. And so a lot of what we did was teaching people that we, as believers, have to stand firm in Christ in a lot of areas in our lives. And so that involves things like learning to forgive each other, which is something that's very difficult. In the Indonesian context, they didn't really have a working understanding of what grace means or how to forgive each other 
or even what it means to be forgiven by the Lord. So that was an area where we really focused, for instance. Um, also, it was in the middle of a Muslim context. So all around them were people who were approaching God through the things that they did, the legalistic aspects of Islam. And so it was easy for the church to be not unaware of the fact that that culture was shaping how they were approaching God. And then it was about being at church all the time, about being at Bible study all the time, you know, whether they were giving their 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 um sorry English um their ten percent their tithe, and so so those were the kinds of things we had to educate about uh, in Indonesia. When we came here, um, the aspect of spiritual warfare that's most neglected, I think, is of course deliverance. And over here, people hear that word, and either they don't know what that means at all, or else they start to get in their heads those movies like The Exorcist and The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and they go, ah, no. So one thing that we've had to work on with people on here is the aspect of, yes, we need to be aware of the enemy's schemes, and also at times we need to stand firm and push back against what the enemy is doing. For instance, um, I think a really good example of that is a missionary woman that I worked with. And for 12 years, following just a regular mundane cold kind of sickness, she had had incredibly horrific headaches to the point where she talked about it felt like someone had pounding a nail into her temple. For 12 years, her life had pretty much been ruled by these headaches. She couldn't, there were a lot of things she couldn't do because she just couldn't stand the pain. She'd had surgeries. She'd had people praying for her for 12 years. She's a missionary. And so when she came to me, I said to her, well, has anyone done any deliverance prayer with you? And she said, well, no. And so we looked at her life, and we looked at some possibilities, and, and I did some deliverance prayer with her. And um, it only lasted probably half an hour, 40 minutes. And she went home, and I said, well, you know, we'll see what happens from here. And the next time that we saw her, she really wanted to know more about our ministry. And we asked her, well, what, what was the results? And she said, well, this is the first time in 12 years that I didn't have a headache waking up. And so what, what you see from that is that she was a mature believer walking in the Lord, and yet there was an area where the enemy was at work in her life, and, and she needed to understand that that area needed to be cleansed of what the enemy was doing. So those are the kind of things that we do. Yeah, a lot of times, too, it's emotional and uh, what are often considered psychological mm -hmm. issues as well. You've had a number of those. Yeah, I think one of the most satisfying, I think, ministries that I've had in the last few years was with a young woman who had just completed um, a doctorate in psychology. And she came to us because she was still so troubled. Uh, she told me when she, the first time that she sat on the couch in the living room, that's where I do most of my ministry, she said that every day she had suicidal thoughts and that she was, she had been depressed since the time she was 14 and she was 32 years old. And so um, the first thing that, that we did with her is tell her, why are you listening to that voice telling you to kill yourself? Tell it to shut up. So that was the first thing she learned. And she came back the next week and she said, I, I started doing that and it's getting quieter already. I, I haven't had these thoughts for the last few days. Um, but through working through a series of, of deep wounds and um, all deceptions. the deceptions, she finally found freedom from the depression to the point where after we did deliverance uh, work in her experience and also in her family line, she's been totally free from depression now and is no longer on depression meds that she'd been taking since she was 14 years old. So it can make a big difference in someone's life, but it's not just deliverance alone. And I think that's the important thing to understand because it's yeah, a part yeah. of a whole There's package. often trauma mm -hmm. that 
there's often um, deceptions, lies we're believing. Sometimes we're aware of those lies. Sometimes they're buried kind of deeply in our hearts, and we're aware of the feelings, but not the, the deception. Sometimes it's those defensive responses that Katie mentioned, the, the bitterness toward others, the uh, judgments on other people, and, and sometimes ourselves or God that can really cripple and be used by the enemy. Uh, so it's, it's a multidimensional kind of a ministry, and you flow from one part to another. One of the interesting things, I think, Amanda, is that you know, there's a lot of things that influence people's views of demonic influence in the West. A lot of us have a lack of experience, so we're, we haven't seen a lot of it. Negative stereotypes, maybe we've seen or heard of stories where it wasn't done well. The, the film and television, we, we're used to dramatic. I mean, they're horror films usually is the way it's portrayed. And then it, it, it just teachings we've received, often well-meaning leaders or pastors that have really not much experience in it or, or doing the best they can. It's just that there's a lot of influences. Um, Katie talked about different types of cases. You know, you look in the scriptures and the gospels and see Jesus confronting the enemy quite regularly. Now, we, do, we have a, some examples, but in these summaries we find through the Gospels and in the narrative, you see he's doing an incredible, incredible amount of healing and deliverance. And you see uh, someone who's deaf is healed through deliverance. Someone who can't speak is healed through deliverance. Someone who's blind in uh, Matthew chapter 12 is healed of deliverance by that method. Um, seizures uh, are healed through deliverance. And it's not all like the garrison or gathering, depending on which version we use it, that demoniac. It's, it's not all these kind of wild cases. Often people have uh, issues and the, the enemies at work, and we can use the authority God gives us in Christ to deal with that. But often people don't know that, and that's what this lady experienced for 12 years. So how do you discern whether it's something that we can pray for deliverance about and whether it's um, something like forgiveness. Because you mentioned when you um, were working with the missionary woman, you said that you asked her to look into or share about her history and her past, and then you were able to see, oh, this is where it began or the deception began. It might be good to pray about that, yeah. What we find basically is that as we go through life, we get hurt. We have trauma. And sometimes that's an active trauma. Somebody hurts me deliberately or I get hurt, for instance, in a car accident. That's a trauma. There's also passive traumas, things like my daddy didn't love me or my mom uh, abused me. You know, Those kinds of things, they hurt us. And out of that trauma, we learn things about life. right? And usually those things are deceptions because we don't know how to deal with the things that we have happened to us. Let's say that we grow up in a home with a father who's very authoritarian and angry all the time. We can learn one thing, and that is there's something wrong with me. Daddy is angry with me again. There must be something I'm doing. There must be something wrong. Or we can learn if I maybe if I try hard enough, maybe if I'm good enough, Daddy will love me. So out of those kinds of things, we begin to build our lives. Let's say I'm the little girl who says, maybe if I try hard enough, Daddy will love me, right? And then I work and work and work and work all my life long. Was that it? Was that good enough? Pretty soon now I come to know God and I'm asking the same question. Is that good enough? Am I making God happy? Is he all right with me? Maybe I'm not doing it quite right. Maybe I'm not doing enough. And then out of that 
I, I interact with the world. And that, that teaches me different things too. So what we do, by the time we're grown up, let's say, and daddy still doesn't love us, we finally get to the point where you go, well, to heck with daddy. I'm done with that, right? And the relationship is cut off. There's bitterness. There's anger. There's disappointment. All of these judgments, all these things are building up in our lives. Those are the kind of things that the enemy then says, oh, that's good. I'd love to work with that in your life. So when you ask, how do we know, it's not a kind of an either-or thing. Oh, this needs deliverance, and this needs prayer for healing. Those things all work together. And then we throw in things like occult things that have come often down the family line. Or we throw in deliberate sin that I've gotten into. I've decided that my anger is appropriate, and so I spew it all over everybody. You see what I'm saying? So the, there are lots of different aspects to how it all comes together, but the bottom line is that we, we're looking at the same things Jesus told us to look at. You know, we're looking at forgiveness. We're looking at letting go of judgments. We're looking at finding and being restored when we confess our own sin, you know, those kinds of things. And then out of those, then we look at those and we say, okay, where is the enemy at work? Where is he attached what is he using in our lives? Mm-hmm. And I think the question you, you ask, it brings us back to the world, the flesh, or the devil. And we often ask, which one is it? And the, the answer is usually yes. <laughs> it's all, <laughs> all it's of all them because they, they work together. They, they work as a team. For example, the case Katie brought with the missionary with the headaches. You listen to her story, her, mm-hmm. her history. You ask all the questions. There wasn't a lot showing up. And so Katie just confronted it. Uh, it turned out later it came out that it was through family, uh, parents or grandparents that were involved in Freemasonry, and that became a real issue, and the, those the spirits were working there too. Because she's a missionary, she's going to get some spiritual opposition to that, but with the authority we have in Christ, we can deal with it. That was what we call primary demonization. It's very simple. You just give it a command, it goes. A lot of it is secondary demonization, too. You know, you look at uh, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, we're not to let the sun go down on our anger. We don't give the devil an opportunity, which seems to be what happens when you give, let the sun go down on your anger. And we should instead forgive. But if we don't, we give the devil that opportunity or that foothold, how it's translated in different ways. And the real issue there is the bitterness, the anger that's not resolved. So we have to work through that with a person, you know, bringing them to the Lord and helping them to release that and so forth. And then once it's over, we usually just to check to see if was the devil been using this and working it and pushing it, trying to make it a bigger problem in their life. And we, we just challenge him and tell him to go, you know, the, the spirits. So you can see it both ways, but it all works together. So sometimes we find that both Christians and non-Christians don't think that spiritual warfare is an issue. I mean, in my life, I had around the end of high school was when my hatred and bitterness and all that, all those um, emotions and feelings Mm -hmm. towards someone in my life, it kept increasing. And then it wasn't until a few years later that I noticed that I had skin issues it was coming, something was wrong with my skin. Mm-hmm. So I went to a dermatologist, um, and they were just like, you know, you're just very, you just have sensitive skin. And um, so I was wrestling with that for a few years until I went to this church, and it was um, it was just a one-night kind of mm-hmm. conference, mm-hmm. and that's when um, the pastor asked me, do you have to forgive someone? Because um, that could be the reason why. And I wasn't even going up for my skin issues. I just wanted prayer. 
And then after that deliverance, my skin problem just slowly started leaving as I was slowly forgiving mm -hmm. that person. Um, but until that point, I didn't know. I didn't know that it was a forgiveness issue. And I'm sure there's a lot of our um, listeners and viewers may not know that things are manifesting. Mm -hmm. So is there a way for individuals to be able to detect that or discern that? I think that the first step is to sit with the Lord and ask him that. Growing up as an evangelical, I definitely believed that God was alive and active in my life. I believed what I read in the scripture, and yet I didn't really expect him to respond to me when I prayed. I didn't expect him to respond in a, in a significant or an immediate way. Usually it was the, you know, I pray that you'd bless so-and-so, or I pray you'd heal so-and-so, and then amen, and you walk away, and you don't really expect to see much out of that, except believing that somehow God's at work somewhere. And one of the things that we learned early on in our studies when we received training is that it's important to sit and listen to what God might be saying to us. So to sit before the Lord and say, Lord, I know that there have been hurts in my life. You know, and especially you knew you were angry with someone. You knew you had been hurt by someone. To say, Lord, am I holding anything here? Are there things I need to work through? The scripture is pretty clear when it says, forgive as I've forgiven you. And yet we tend to kind of walk around that or away from that or to do it only with our mouth. Oh, yeah, Lord, I forgive so-and-so. But in our hearts, we're still mulling over how are we going to get back at them or going over that whole little scenario in our head over and over again. Boy, when he said that, that just wasn't right, you know. So that's where we sit with the Lord and we say, what do I do with this? Yeah, and one of the amazing things is when you we sit with people, we pray, and we say, no, let's just be quiet and listen to the Lord. Often he'll bring up like a relationship like you and uh, they've been aware of they'll say oh I hadn't really thought of that that that's connected and then they they begin to see it and uh, the Lord just brings it up points it out I mean he wants us to move ahead and follow his will and the teaching of the scriptures so we just ask him but the other thing is to listen to the story and we can pinpoint you know when you you hear really traumatic situations those have an impact on people. And we often bring those to the Lord and um, ask him to come and bring healing. But we also begin to see the impact of those, those events in person's life in terms of what they believe and how they relate to others and uh, how they relate to God. And once we're hearing their story, so the two things, one is we're praying and, and asking Lord, but we're also hearing their story. And some of these things are just obvious once you learn to look for them a little bit. Was it different ministering to different genders, different age groups? You mentioned it was different uh, ministering to people in Indonesia and then in the U.S. I think there's a certain difference in the things that are difficult for the different genders. But by and large, it's the same issues that we all wrestle with. Who am I? Who am I in God's eyes? Am I loved? Am I received? Those kinds of things are questions that everybody has on both sides of the world. Yeah, it's often people need a real deep experience of the grace of God. And that, that's really powerful in helping them move ahead. So how do you see spiritual warfare then being better integrated into the church so that believers can be equipped? Well, I think the first thing is we need to um, not see a disconnect between spiritual warfare ministries and the basic 
teachings of Scripture on spiritual disciplines and so forth. We need to be walking with the Lord. Obedience is a major factor. Prayer, not just as an activity, but really seeking relationship with the Lord and seeking His direction and leading, spending time in His Word, not just for information, but, but seeking what, what He has to say to us. And all of those things, I think, are, are just really critical. But somehow in the West, the, the whole issue of spiritual warfare is a bit neglected these days. Um, other topics are, are hot. Uh, spiritual formation is very much mainstream. But spiritual warfare is kind of a little bit uh, marginal. And, and we, we don't think about it a lot. Actually, believers in the majority world think about that a lot more in our experience. Here in the West, there's a writer, Philip Jenkins, in his book, The New Faces of Christianity, Believing the Bible in the Global South. He writes, as in the early church, much of the global South Christianity today is a healing religion par excellence with a strong belief in the objective existence of evil and commonly a willingness to accept the reality of demons and the diabolical. Well, there's a little different approach here. <laughs> so why do you think then that the West does not see evil as alive and that we need to battle it like it is in the South or other regions? Well, I, I think a lot of that has to do with worldview. And uh, years ago, Paul Hebert, a missiologist at Fuller, wrote uh, an article called The Flaw of the Excluded Middle. And he, in this article, he talked about how uh, in the West, in our worldview, we often see God and the spiritual reality as being one thing. And that, that relates to salvation and personal peace and these kind of things. Then we have sort of our physical lives, and you know that has to do more with science and medicine. And we don't see a lot of connection there, whereas most cultures in the world look at people more holistically. They look at the spiritual, the physical, the emotional. They're all related as they see it. And so I think we tend to pray to God for our salvation, go to him for when we have problems, but when we're dealing with physical realities especially, or even these days emotional and psychological realities, we go to a doctor or a psychologist or a counselor, and that's not bad. But as long as the psychologist or counselor or whoever it is is aware that there may be spiritual realities there as well. We in the West are afraid of looking foolish too. I remember in Indonesia in the early days when we would do deliverance, you know, we would sit next to someone and we'd say, okay, now is the time to like just ask the Lord if there's any spiritual stuff going on here. And then we'd say, oh God, you know, if there's any, if there's any spirit here that needs to go out, just do it now. Oh, good. Oh, nothing happened. Okay, good. And you feel like an idiot, you know. And what we learned over time is that the enemy doesn't usually manifest himself or show himself unless you push at it a little bit, unless you keep saying to him, no, I'm speaking to you and you need to leave now. And so as Westerners, we're not aware of that spiritual reality. We don't, we don't 
go after the enemy. And then when nothing happens, we say, well, see, there really wasn't anything going on there. Mm-hmm. We have an alternate explanation. Yeah, it must be the depression. Let's just give them some more meds, you know. And, and again, those can be very helpful in certain circumstances or for a period of time. And then you're looking at what are the underlying issues. But that isn't often the way it works in, in, in the world today. I think that the case Katie brought up earlier is a very good one. She talked about the woman who had been depressed since she was 14. And, you know, once you work through the lies and the different issues, Katie did check to see if there was demonic. As she challenged, if there's any spirits here, I'm commanding you to leave. And there was a lot of, of movement with her. I mean, she and she said later said, well, what was going on there? I, I'm, I'm moving around, you know. And then it delivered, but it was gone. But... Um, you know, you'd never see that or detect it if you didn't challenge it. And often in the West, we don't. The other thing was that this same woman also had an issue with an eating disorder. She was bulimic. And we prayed about that a lot. We did a lot of deliverance. But it was not until the very last time that we met together that finally the root of the problem was exposed. And that was that she had been taught since an early age that being a Christian meant that you were nothing. Like, you're nothing, God is everything. And and she felt like she was just a big emptiness. And so she says, I know how to fill that emptiness with food, but I don't know how to fill that with God. And so you can see there's the trauma, there's the deception, and then there is the response. And it was when we prayed about that and the Lord moved into those areas of her life that the bulimia finally let go. And I just mention that because often, again, in our society, bulimia would be treated with, you know, a long stint in a, some kind of a hospital or a rehab center or something like that. And for, and for many women, they never get past it. And, and it was because that there was this underlying deception that was not only holding her captive, but the enemy was just really using that. So it's something to be aware of. You were mentioning earlier, where do, you know, where do we go to find out about these things? And one book that I think has been helpful to many people that we've worked with is a book by a man named Rustenbach. And um, it's just called Listening Prayer. But, but he talks about how to sit and listen to God and to then begin to ask him these questions. And part of it is a workbook in which you can work through with God. What do you want to say to me about the things that are going on in my life? What am I holding on to? What do I believe that isn't true? What is my sin that needs to be confessed and rejected? Where is the enemy at work? And that could be very helpful to a lot of people, I think, especially I think if they have a a relatively isolated issue, as you, for example, you did, it was forgiving someone. I think when people have been through years and years of dysfunctional family and uh, so forth, often it's very helpful to have someone else to walk through that as a process. You went to, yours is a great example, Amanda, because you went to a service and then walked away with something new and and then you of course with forgiveness you have to walk it out you have to you know those feelings take a little while to to die sometimes you know so you have to keep bringing them to the lord but in many cases we work with people over a period of time and meet with them often weekly and then you work through this issue and then you work through the next layer in the problem and so forth and it, it, they make great progress so you mentioned um worldview and so even as a Christian, I think we can have gaps in our worldview and our understanding, like you mentioned, like who we are in God, who is God. So when we are doing deliverance in our own lives or in group settings, I think understanding ourselves as children of God and the authority that we have in that is important. So could you speak a little bit about that? 
Well, yeah, I, I think we see that all through Scripture. We see Jesus using authority to confront the enemy. We see the early believers, Peter and the early apostles. We see um, in the signs and wonders are usually in Acts are usually uh, deliverance and healing. So we see that in uh, Stephen's life, Philip's life in Samaria and his ministry. Then we see it in Paul's ministry. And of course, Acts shows us the key figures. But in the churches, there are also miracles. Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, there's ongoing miracles going on, and the miracles are usually those main things that we see in Jesus. We see in the early church, their healing, deliverance, and sometimes other things like resuscitating those who've died. But it's nothing that's strange or unbiblical. It's, it's very biblical that God gives us authority for the ministry to which he calls us. And we all have that authority. But the problem is learning to use it. And I think most believers that we meet don't understand their authority. I got to Indonesia, and the first time I was with a Christian counselor and a young man, and this young man went into demonic manifestations very big time in uh, central Java, and the, the counselor didn't know what to do, and I figured, okay, it's up to me. And, and he's now speaking in a different voice. I mean, it was a very extreme kind. I mean, we don't usually see this kind of thing. But, uh, you know, he's, he's speaking in a different voice. And he's saying, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to, you know, tear up this place. And, and I thought, i got to get control of this. So uh, I challenged, I said, you sit in that chair in the name of Jesus. You may not move. And I said, I knew the theory. Uh, you may not move and you, you'll stay in that chair and um, until I tell you to get out, and you may not speak unless I ask you a question. And I was speaking to the spirit, not to the young man, and I watched, and I knew the theory, so I did it, but then I watched, and he sits in the chair, and he can't, you know, he can't. and I said, wow, th there really is authority. Neil Anderson, in his books, uh, Bondage Breaker and so forth, emphasized authority, as Christians, and he talks about two policemen, an, uh, a young one that uh, comes to direct traffic, and he kind of from the side of the road blows his whistle very tentatively, and maybe here people would stop. In Indonesia, nobody's going to pay attention. Plus, driving's kind of a demolition sport anyway, you know, in, in, in a lot of developing countries. But then you get a, you know, an experienced policeman comes and he steps out confidently into the traffic, blows his whistle and puts up his arm. Cars, trucks, they stop. And uh, what's the difference? Uh, does the one have authority and the other? No, no yeah, they, no, they both have authority as policemen. They're both wearing badges. But uh, the one just hasn't learned to use it yet. Uh, uses authority, and, and I think that's the, the real issue today, and we miss a lot of opportunities because of that. Yeah, most people think that showing authority means just getting louder. We often tell people we train, you know, the enemy's not deaf. You don't need to yell at him. <laughs> but um, what it means is simply saying to him, you know, you have to obey and you will obey, and sometimes it takes a little while for the demonic to respond to that. They don't want to obey. They're rebellious. That's what it's all about. It's like little children who will obey for a moment, but as soon as mom turns her head away, they pop up out of the chair again. Is she watching? Can I get away with it now? And um, so we have to continue to 
bring our authority to bear until finally the enemy surrenders. And and sometimes he can try to fool you. The enemy will try to fool you into thinking, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to just keep coming against you. But we know the outcome. It's already been made secure by Jesus, and we don't have to to worry about that, really. Yeah. I think what's really important here is we've talked a lot about the reality of warfare and opposition, and that is a reality. I mean, we're in a spiritual conflict whether we believe it or not. It's just it's better to believe it and, and be aware of it. But as we look at it, understand this is a defeated enemy. He was defeated in the ministry of Jesus again and again and again, and he was decisively defeated at the cross, the empty tomb, and now through Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father. But he's still prowling around like a roaring lion, looking to deceive, looking to work and where, where we'll let him. And, and often, unfortunately, we let him. <laughs> well, thank you, Tom and Katie, for joining us on Light Shed Table Talk. Until next time.